The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I had the privilege of preaching a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and um, it has now fallen upon me to preach on Jonah chapter 3. Last time was one of my own choosing. This one was the choosing of the elders. Uh, Justin, when he ended last week, um, I was listening to his sermon uh, because my, my kids were getting ready to go overseas, and they're now in Madrid getting ready to set up a church in Madrid with the hope that they will be able to minister to Muslims. So I was at their church last week for their send-off. But uh, it is a pleasure to be back here again this week. But Jonah, <coughs> Justin, when he left off, he said, then the Lord commanded a fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry ground. So it's a good place to start a sermon, a fish vomit. <laughs> but as we move into chapter 3, we see a change. It states, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. I want you to think on this. This statement is used over 300 times in the Bible. And that doesn't even include the times that it says, Thus saith the Lord, or that the Lord spoke. But the word of the Lord is the very word by which we were made. Matter of fact, it's by that word that the world was made. It's even larger than that. It's by that wor word that the entire creation came into existence, this entire universe. As it states in Psalms 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. So, how did the word of the Lord come to Jonah? Matter of fact, how did it come to the men of the Old Testament, men and women of the Old Testament? Well, we can look in Genesis chapter 3, and we can see that God, whenever he addresses Adam, he's walking through the garden, and he says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So there was an audible voice that he called. And then, remember Moses in the burning bush. Moses stopped and observed, and out of the burning bush, God spoke. We went through Job, and at the end of Job's discourse with his friends, God appeared, and he appeared in a magnificent way. It says a whirlwind. I think of a tornado myself, but this mighty wind, and he spoke out of this mighty wind to Job, and we see this in Job 38.1. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and then he goes into his discourse on how is Job to judge God? We see in Daniel, whenever Daniel is praying to God for 
how do I keep from dying along with the rest of the Chaldeans and the magicians? And God reveals in a night vision the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he stops and he praises God. That's in Daniel chapter 2. Elijah. How many of you remember Elijah? Elijah, the great man of God. The man that whenever he <coughs> offered up the sacrifices to the Lord God against the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal failed. The God consumed Elijah's offering and the prophets of Baal were wiped out. Jezebel said, you're dead meat. I'm going to kill you. And Ezekiel, like the strong man of God that he was, turned tail and ran. <clears throat> and when he finished running, he stopped at a cave because that's where God told him to sit, stop. And when you see in 1 Kings, you see that uh, so God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking to pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Hmm. Sounds a lot like Job spe speaking out of the wind. After that, wind and earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I did not go over the passages in Exodus when the Lord God spoke to the nation of Israel and the ground quaked because of his speech. After this, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Again, sounds like Moses. Each one of these were different. Then finally, there was a gentle blowing when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Josiah, the most righteous king of the nation of Israel, whenever he had established his kingdom, he had put the priest into effect to clean up the temple. And guess what they found in the temple? They found the written word of the Lord. This is over 800 years after the written word was given. And they found it in the temple. It was dusty. It says they had to dust it off. And they read it. And when they read it, they were filled with fear. So they brought it before the king. And King Josiah, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Because when he heard the word of the Lord, he realized that the nation of Israel had sinned against God, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, but for hundreds of years because they had not hold him holy. So the word came as written to Josiah. Today, a lot of people ask, well, how does the Lord, word of the Lord come to us today? The word of the Lord comes to us through Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, creator of the universe, as seen in the gospel of John. If you look at John 1.14, it says, The word of the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. After his resurrection, this hope was declared by Paul in Acts, Acts 13, 48 and 49. It says, when the Gentiles heard of the good news, in other words, that not only the Jews were being saved, but the Gentiles were being saved, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as as many had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. So they heard it, and they took the word of the Lord to each place. And he, the Christ, our Messiah, is with us now, who have trusted him for our salvation, as it says in Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the living word of God, the Lord Almighty, is coming again because he lived a life without sin, he died, he rose again, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. In Revelation it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So for those of us who trust in the living word, who is Jesus, Jesus is a great comfort. At the time of Jonah, however, the spoken word of the Lord could either bring condemnation or comfort. And in some cases, comfort would come out of the condemnation. I want you to think on the phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is a great measure of God's grace to Jonah. Think on this. If the king had told Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah had abandoned what the king had said to do and he went to Tarshish and came back before the king, what would the king have done to him? He would have been killed. The king gave a direct order, and he not only didn't say, I didn't hear you, he went exactly opposite. Jonah deserved death for what he had done. But God extended grace to him. And as an example of how, what power the king have, again, if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, and this is after the king has had his vision of the night, and he is wanting the magicians to give him an interpretation of the vision. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. 
the king replied to the magicians, the command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. This is the power the king had during that time. Now the Chaldeans came back and he said, but no one has ever requested this before. Only the gods can give this. But the king says, doesn't matter. You don't tell me, you're dead. Okay? So, um, again, just the power that the king has. Now, again, whenever you're thinking about the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, this is the only place in Scripture that the same message was given the second time. Every other time when you go through Scripture and you see where the word of the Lord came a second time, either in Jeremiah or Ezekiel, it, or Nahum, it was a continuation of a previous prophecy. So it would be like God speaking to Jeremiah in the morning and saying, the nation of Israel is going to be wiped out. And then in the afternoon, he would come back and say, not only are they going to be wiped out, but they're going to be wiped out this way. So this phrase, the second time, for Jonah is a very, very or should be a very, very humbling because he did not obey God the first time. Now, I had started off in saying where the whale had belched or vomited Jonah up on the, the land, and then we come into the word of the Lord came to Noah, or I'm sorry, Jonah, different, different, different ocean, uh, <laughs> came to Jonah a second time. Whenever you read Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, it is event-oriented. It is not time-oriented. So we do not know that when the fish vomited Jonah up on the land, whether it was immediately one day, one week, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years before Jonah was commanded again to go to Nineveh. We don't know. But in reality, it doesn't matter. Because God did a work either way. But I wonder what the state of Jonah's soul was when the word of the Lord was being held inside Jeremiah gives us a clue in his, whenever he is giving his prophecy, he says, for each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Or, look in the New Testament, whenever Cleopas and his friend, this is on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus had joined them and were walking with them, 
They sat down and said, let's have dinner together. Jesus gives thanks, and then it disappears. And Cleopas' response is, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The word of God is a fire that burns inside. So let's take a look at the Lord's command in the next verse. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Again, Jonah is told to arise and go and call out against it. This was a message that Jonah was to give, one of condemnation, not of comfort. And in the next verse, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was in an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Big city. We see in the next chapter that there was 120 souls in the city. But this time, Jonah obeys the word of the Lord. This journey to Nineveh would have taken anywhere from 30 to 60 days. Again, uh, Justin pointed out a couple of weeks ago that it would be the equivalent of walking from El Paso to San Antonio. And just like I wouldn't do that walk by myself at this time, I don't think that Jonah did the walk by himself at that time. Pure speculation, but when you see Jonah's modus operandi, he went on a ship, he was with other people to get to the place that he wanted to go. I have a feeling he probably joined a caravan to get to the place that he wanted to go. The journey... Oh, here... <laughs> Not only was Nineveh identified as a great city, it is identified as an exceedingly great city. And this is the only time that any city in the Bible is mentioned as an exceedingly great city. So what made it exceedingly great? Nineveh was built by Nimrod some 3,000 to 4,000 years before Jonah. Think on this. I want you to get a grasp of the time frame here. Which city today that is standing was a powerhouse 4,000 years ago? Can you think of one? I can't. This is the equivalent of going back to which were the great cities at the time that the exodus happened. And those cities, by most part, are no longer are world powers. Yet Nineveh was still a world power after that amount of time. Remember what Justin said a couple of weeks ago, that the wall around Nineveh was 100 feet tall with 200 towers. Again, I sometimes have trouble grasping how, what size this is. If whenever you came in today, you looked over where the gymnasium is and you saw the height of the gymnasium, that would be a pretty tall tower or a pretty tall wall, but that wall is only about 25 foot tall. The only thing I found in the area that I'm almost 
sorry to say, that was almost exactly 100 foot tall is the Mormon temple up on Hardy. So if you cut Moroni off the top of that, okay, and you square it off and you make it run around the city, that's how tall the wall at Nineveh was. As you're driving 16 or 281 onto 1604, you know those lanes that go, that connect the two, that's about how wide the top of the wall was. And not only that, there were towers spaced another 100 feet over the top of that. So it's a very, very impressive city. I don't know how many of you have driven up 281, and if you've looked back up in this direction, you can actually see the temple from 281. Many of the gates surrounding the city had the name of one of their gods. So if you entered into the gate of Asher, that was their supreme god. But they also had other gods there. Um, they had, matter of fact, 2,100 gods that they worshipped. So think of each one of these gods having a small temple in this city. One of the principal goddesses was Ishtar, which for some reason people still worship today. Uh, is the patron goddess of the city. Ishtar was the goddess of love, beauty, sex, desire, fertility, war, combat, and political power. Kind of a long list of names after her. So you can see some of the revulsion that Jonah had for the city of Nineveh. You have one true god, and you have all of these other gods that the city is worshiping. Now, a river ran through the middle of the city. This supplied water for the city. And, again, pure speculation, I imagine, just like San Antonio, a little charm. Um, but it also fed their gardens. And the gardens of Nineveh were something to be seen. They rivaled the gardens of Babylon, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. So this was a fabulously beautiful city. And since this city was in the center of one of the trade routes, or multiple trade routes, they had access to every single cloth and fashion of the time. So the people of the city were bedecked in these beautifully arrayed colors and clothes. And not only their citizens, but they dressed their animals up too. I mean, scarlet and red and gold jewelry on their camels and horses to show the opulence and the richness of the people that lived there. This is the city that Jonah went to, to sow the word of the Lord. Because whenever we share the word, whether it be long or short, we're sowing the word of the Lord. As Jesus said in Matthew 13, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So what kind of word did Jonah sow? We see in the next verse, Jonah began to go in the city going a day's journey. Remember, this is three days' journey in width, so he goes a day into the city. He stops and he calls out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So Jonah walked into the city one day, says this, and knowing Jonah's personality, I would think that he probably left soon thereafter because he really didn't want the Ninevites to get what he was saying. What kind of message is this? No, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. No, woe is unto you if you continue doing the same way. No explanation of who God is or how to come to him. Matter of fact, Paul, whenever he is explaining to Felix in the book of Acts, gives a better explanation of what Felix needed to do to enter into a relationship with God. And what he says in Acts 24, um, 24 and 25, he says, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul to hear him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. But as, he was, as Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present, and I will find time, I will summon you. Felix may have believed Paul, but he did not trust the message that Paul had given. At this point, Felix did not trust Christ to provide the sacrifice for the judgment to come. And historically speaking, we never will know whether or not he did until those of us who have put our faith in Christ go to heaven. And if we see Felix heaven, then we know that he did. But if we don't, we know that he did not trust in Christ. So my question to you is, have you trusted in Christ for your salvation? Have you trusted in Christ's sacrifice? Now, just at the preaching of and yet 40 days and Nineveh will be, I memorized it in another version, we know more, okay? Remember, Nineveh, the description that I gave of the city, was a powerhouse. 100-foot walls, who's going to go through these walls? We have enough provisions to last four years here. What are you talking about, 40 days? And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Short message. Why did they believe God? 
Why did they believe God? And I think Jesus gives us the answer in Luke. Luke 11, 29 and 30. He says, as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then you skip down to 32, and it says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Ninevites believed God because Jonah had been a sign unto them. Now, how could he be a sign unto them unless they knew about Jonah beforehand? These are rhetorical questions that I ask myself as I walk through the scriptures. And I, this is speculation on my part, but because he had been in the belly of a fish for three days, Jonah's appearance had become marred. Okay? Um, historians say that whenever they've recovered people like this in the past, that all the hair is burned off of them and their skin is bleached. Now, uh, at this time, because he's a, uh, Jonah's of the Semitic race, he's of a darker color. So ex think of him being lighter than us that are white and not having any hair. If you're in a caravan or if it took a while before Jonah went. And Jonah was still a prophet for the king. So he's standing before King Jeroboam and an Assyrian comes and they see Jonah standing there. And they say, what in the world happened to him? And someone said, oh, that's just Jonah. He was told to go to the Ninevites and tell them that they were going to be destroyed, but he didn't believe God, so he ran the other way. And when he'd run the other way, he was caught in a major storm. The sailors threw him off, and a big fish swallowed him. And when the fish swallowed him, the seas became calm. The sailors came to know the Lord. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he was vomited up. And he's looked like that ever since. He's never gone to Nineveh, but he knows the Lord. He knows the Lord. Pure speculation, folks. Pure speculation. But I believe it's plausible. So, the story would unfold of Jonah's rebellion against God and the Ninevites because Jonah's rebellion was not only against God, but when he didn't obey the word of the Lord, his rebellion was also manifested against the Ninevites. Jonah being swallowed by a fish, the deliverance of the sailors, and as much as Jonah hated the Ninevites, his disobedience was instrumental and in one of the reasons that they came to know him, the living God. But take a moment to reflect on the scripture in Luke, whereas Jonah hated the Ninevites, Jesus does not hate us but loves us. And through him being the living word, of the living God, 
He became a sign of deliverance for me. And for those of you that have put your faith in Christ, he has become a sign of deliverance for you. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your deliverance from sin and the separation we have from God because of our sin, would you come and see one of the elders and myself after the sermon so we can explain to you how you can know God and become part of his kingdom through Jesus Christ? We'll be back here. Guys, see me. I have a tie. And I was actually asked, Bob, why did you dress up this way today? And I said, I have a tendency of dressing the part. Remember I told you Jonah did not look like everybody else around. I don't see any other ties here, so I think I fit the part. Okay? Uh, I actually had someone to say, but Bob, where's your Hawaiian shirt today? So, so my wife tried to get me to wear my Hawaiian tie, but that was just too much. Uh, <laughs> So now we have the nation or the city of Nineveh hearing the word of the Lord. And then it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. It states that the word reached, which makes me think, and again, this is speculation on my, and I'm sorry, I, I, I try to, be clear whenever I'm speculating what Scripture is teaching and what Scripture teaches because I don't want anyone to say, well, Bob said, and the Scripture doesn't really teach that. So I try to divide the two. But again, it reached the king, which leads me to believe that he did not hear Jonah's report firsthand. Matter of fact, when I read this, I thought of President Trump getting a tweet <laughs> about a man standing outside in the, the wall right outside the White House pro who pronounced that God's judgment was going to fall on the United States and we were going to be destroyed in 40 days. I envision our president taking off his three-piece suit, putting on burlap sacks, setting in ashes on national television. Not. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be disparaging against Trump, but again, this is the example that we're given. The king of one of the most powerful nations of the world is listening to someone who is saying, in yet 40 days, Nineveh is going to be no more. And he's on his knees before God. And this is one of the few times I will use this word. That is awesome. Okay. God did a work there because only God can do that type of work. <clears throat> and not only did he do it, he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, horde nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. Now this edict did not come from the king alone, but from the king and the nobles. So this would be the equivalent of President Trump, the cabinet, the Supreme Court, and Congress all coming out with an edict 
telling us that we had to fast and not wear good clothes. And we listen because we believe that God is going to destroy us. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites turned to God with only the hope, with only the hope that God would relent and not cause the destruction. They had no assurance. They demonstrated their belief in what God had said through Jonah by doing what the God and the nobles had decreed. He had decreed that they were to fast. Now to fast means that you do not eat and you do not drink. But not only them, their animals were not supposed to eat or drink either. Sackcloth, they are to take off all of their finery, their, their good clothes, the things that felt comfortable against them. And they were to put burlap sacks on. You know what a burlap sack feels like? It's rough, it's scratchy. And it isn't very comfortable. They were to call out to God. Now, they were to call out to Elohim, which is the God of gods. Not to one of their gods or goddesses. So somehow they had heard of this Hebrew God that ruled over the world. They had chosen to follow other gods, but now... They're saying, no longer are we going to serve them, but we want to serve the true God. And we see this reflected in Psalm 116, 3 and 4. It says, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Lastly, they were to turn from the evil way. When you read through the Old Testament, a lot of times, whenever God is addressing the evil way amongst the Jews, it was when they were going after foreign gods. Like sacrificing your child to Moloch for personal gain or offering up incense to the Queen of Heaven asking for her favor. Isaiah said in 55.7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and God will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is a promise that is given to us. Turn from violence. The word violence here can also be turned to be say turn from unrighteous nights. Now the Ninevites were doing this just for the hope. We are doing it. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have to do it for the hope because we're given the promise in 1 John 5, 11 through 14. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God 
does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Ninevites believed God through what Jonah said. Have you done the same by placing your faith in Jesus? Lastly, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The Ninevites turned from the way of unrighteousness to God. Not only God saw their repentance, but Jonah also as he left the city. He saw the animals and the people dressed in sackcloth. He saw their faces drawn with hunger from not eating or drinking. He heard their cries to God, imploring, pleading, begging. And he knew that they had received the word of God implanted. Their hearts were a fertile soil on which the word of God fell. I can imagine that as Jonah left the city, he remembered his own prayer in Jonah 2. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the death of Sheol, and you heard my voice. And Jonah realized the same God that had delivered him would deliver the Ninevites. Is this not like Jonah's prayer to God, the same calling that the Ninevites demonstrated? Is this not the call of every person when we call out on the Lord to be saved? We call in our need. He answers, he hears, and he delivers. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, by whom the world was created by your spoken word. Lord God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have called us here today. And I would pray that if any do not know you, Lord, that they would put their trust in you. The Ninevites heard one short phrase, and they believed God. Jesus has spoken words of eternal life. Oh, may we grasp that portion and grab on. We thank you and praise you, O oh Lord. And as always, I believe that, as you said in Isaiah, that your word will not return void. So I pray that this word that you have preached today would strengthen our inner man to follow you more fully in all aspects, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.